set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and crack it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth. Hey guys, Dr. Casey Getz checking in with you. Got a really good episode this week. Uh, just wanted one quick housekeeping note. Um, so I, I had Dr. Corey Hastings uh, over to my house and we did a podcast live. He brought over a couple craft beers, really good episode. Uh, we definitely went pretty long, but it just was so fluid that we kind of just lost track of time and we get into a whole whirlwind of topics. So, you know, stick with it. There's going to be a few times where we kind of get off the subject of pediatric dentistry a little bit, um, but a, a really good conversation. We touch a whole variety of, uh, of good topics here in this one. Did find out that my um, the recording software on my phone quits recording a podcast after an hour. So uh, after about 10 minutes, you know, after we got to the 59, 59 mark, it quit recording and I lost about 10 minutes worth of, uh, you know, like five to 10 minutes worth of conversation before I flipped it back on. So if it blips out and it seems like the conversation just totally shifts, that's what's going on. Uh, I also have ordered some better sound equipment for doing these in-person recordings where I'm actually going to have some hot mics that'll pick up sound a little bit better. So appreciate everybody being kind of patient with me as I continue to uh, evolve from pediatric dentist to, you know, audio engineer here. So, um, but yeah, without further ado, Dr. Corey Hastings, he's uh, he's a, a really sharp guy, got a really good business background. Um, he practices kind of in my neighborhood and my neck of the woods around the St. Louis, Missouri area. Um, but we just got a whole, you know, we dive deep down the rabbit hole of business ownership and pediatric topics. So a lot of good stuff to talk about. And I think you guys will really enjoy this one. Thanks, everybody. Right. But it'll be cool to, um, I don't know, it's just I'm looking forward to not having a phone on me and not being like an email. I don't know. It's kind of a weird divide because like I'm looking forward to it. But at the same time, you're dreading it. It's going to be hard for me to turn the off switch off. Like Because yeah, all I, I do it. is think about, you know, this like you think about your practice all day. And you're like, okay, like what fires do I need to put out when I get back or something? Yeah, but at least the nice thing is since you've got a couple offices and some associates, that's where this big trade-off for you comes in that at least the whole machine is still working while you're gone. Whereas I feel like for think. me, it kind of, well, you would think, right? <laughs> it feel, doesn't burn out. It doesn't burn down without you. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's just like, I feel like, you know, I'm going to have the girls in my office come in, clean, work on stuff. I have a to-do list. Um, they'll work probably not a full week, but at least log some hours for them, you know, which will be good. But, yeah. um, you know, I'm sure eventually they'll run out of some things to do. And, but that's kind of, you know, it's the trade off. I'm sure it'll be fine and I'll get back. But I feel like lately, dude, crack these beers while we're sitting here because yeah. I'm going to get thirsty. <laughs> What'd you bring today anyways? So I brought two. I brought a local, you know, my favorite side project, brewery. right? Side project. And then I brought one from Austin, Texas. Ooh, what is, is that? This a, is Atrio Rubicite. So this was my gateway into sour beers. Oh, no It's kidding. raspberries. Okay. Is so, a side project to sour too? It is a sour. It is more just no, not fruited. This one has raspberries. So okay. Let's this. do the raspberry yeah. one. I figured you would be, because uh, you're kind of a sour guy, you'd bring some sours over. Which well, I know good. you like it too. I know you don't like those barrel aged But stats. the one you gave me from side project was still really, really good though. And I don't remember the name, but you gave me like a... Bourbon age, like vanilla based. Oh yeah, I, yeah. The Modem Tones Vanilla Stout. Yes, and that from was Modern Times in California. Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. yeah, Missy, look at you. That was impressive. But yeah, that was uh, that's one of my, the few Bourbon Arrow aged beers that I like. Dude, cheers. Yeah. 
Thanks, Thanks for having me on the slide, man. This is cool. Yeah. Okay, so um, mm, that's an easy sip and beer. That's yeah. good. Um, okay, we were talking about off switch. Um, oh, I remember I was saying I this is my first September that I've been open, and because uh, I opened, I started training girls at the like middle end of September yeah, last I year. That. Mm-hmm. So I didn't start opening till October. So I missed that September lull. So this is my first like work through of September. Yeah, and. I was so confident because my summer was super busy mm-hmm. and August was like humongous. And then my schedule looked really good until this elk hunting trip I have coming up. And then like the last two days have just like completely fallen to shit. Like my half my schedule, we try and call and confirm things and yeah. they just like fall off cause they forget or they're in school. And I think it's normal, but like it's painful seeing like a big schedule and then they kind of fall apart. And I just like, I don't know. I mean, assume you get used to it after a while, but it's frustrating. I feel like. Oh, it's very frustrating. Yeah, it's always frustrating. I don't know if you see some of that. Like, do you see a little bit of that? We do see a little bit of that. I think parents six months out from the time school starts, mm-hmm. they schedule with the intent of coming. Right. And like, oh shit! And then it comes around. Little like, Johnny has art class tomorrow. We can't take this, him out. No, oh, yeah, no way. that'll inhibit him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his growth and development there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. yeah, we do see that. And this is only my second September, so. Sure. Yeah. But, Had a busy summer, though? Very busy summer. Yeah. Tell, yeah. okay, so, because get me up to speed, too, with where you're at, and I know people listening, I'll do a little intro here, but you are, you just opened that new practice you were working on, yeah. like, what, two weeks ago? Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. And so far, so good there? So far, so good. It's slower. It's not the best time to open a new practice right. behind the school for those things we talked about. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's not bad. We opened in the same building as an orthodontist. Mm-hmm. So come in the building, it's us on the left, them on the right, uh, an established orthodontic practice. We built a new practice together. And so right. that's been helpful. For sure. Families coming in, going to the orthodontic side. Hey, mm-hmm. there's a pediatric dentist here. So. Right here. Well, I, and yeah. I, as you know, I'm set up next to Menemeyer and orthodontist. Which is and perfect. it's so great because like, you get not only like visual walk-by traffic for all those kids going to their ortho appointments, but then, like, referrals are so easy, you just walk them down the hall and oh, like, it's, it's, it's right yeah. there. So it just Can't makes a it. lot of sense. So that's your – so right now, I know this your business entities get way more complex than my little brain understands. But right now, you, you've got your Washington office that you predominantly run. Yeah. And then you – the office that you bought out in Illinois, you kind of work a day or two a week and you have an associate mm-hmm. helping you out in. And then now this is office – Three. three. Okay. Yeah. Three. And I know there's more in the works, but this has been the big project. This has lately. been the big, pro- the newest big project. There's always a big project. Always a new right? project, right? It yeah. never ends. So. Can never be bored enough, right? No, for sure. Especially <laughs> for a guy like you who's like fired up about, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, I feel like this is a lot of work just keeping one office um, situated. But I, uh, I feel like I'm always impressed at like, you know, you've always got that next like goal or that next step that you're working towards. Like, it's just, there's a lot of people that don't have that like pedal to the metal mentality. So it's a very impressive like growth strategy that you implement. So it's cool. Thanks man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Okay. So on that note, what I, you know, I know you said you're winging it here. I wrote down things to talk about today when I got to the office cause I was excited to have you on. Cause I figured like, I've been wanting to have a conversation about some of these topics as far as like how do you pick a location for a pediatric dentist, demographics, like what's a good profile for pediatric office as far as like demographics go? And like you'd be a good guy to talk about this with because you've gone through this a couple times mm-hmm. now and have kind of done some of these demographic um, reports and stuff. So just kind of wanted to talk about like location stuff. And I know we're, we're mostly going off the cuff as we slam some sours here. But um, <laughs> as far as like, let's just kind of talk about when 
you know, back back us up to like maybe the first office or two. And I know you're local in the area. Yeah, but like, for sure. Tell tell me about how you picked Washington because I'm pretty sure it's similar to my story. But give me a reminder on how you, you settled on Washington and explain to yeah. listeners that don't know like like what does Washington look like. Yeah, for sure. So. Back up even further, I knew going into residency, I wanted to open my own practice. Mm -hmm. So we started looking there. My wife, uh, who I married in dental school, wanted to come back to Missouri. So, you know, that has a lot of influence on where you end up, right? Mm -hmm. And so we had looked around. I grew up actually where you're practicing. Yeah, that's right. Troy, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I looked at a similar demographic somewhere... I think we talked about this before, like blue collar dentistry. Right. I talked to colleagues that they're doing profies all day, hygiene's immaculate. It's like the mm. perfect ideal situation right. that you want for practice. Palace, yeah. But I also don't want to be doing profies all day. Right. So we had picked about a half a dozen places in the St. Louis area that looked like potential areas to live mm-hmm. and then just started there. And really a lot of it was some demographic research, but also just talking to colleagues and saying, hey, there, there's a good opportunity here. Mm-hmm. And then doing some further research from there. Okay. So then did you, um, did you, when you say your own demographic analysis, was that, that first office, did you have somebody help you out as far as like hiring some sort of consultant or yeah. uh, team, or did you just put pins on a map or how did you, I mean, it sounds like you gave a partial answer, but what did you use for help on that first one? Yeah. So the help that we use, your marketing company. I mean, so many, your suppliers, your marketing company, it's gotten way more complex since our first office. Right. But the first office was mostly my marketing company. Mm-hmm. They had developed a, they call it proprietary. It's not really proprietary. They're taking information that's pretty <laughs> readily available to right. a lot of people as, if you do enough research. Mm-hmm. And they took the information and told us in these spaces that we were looking, how many people were there, kind of the income mm-hmm. uh, potential from like your population, what what's the income breakdown, mm-hmm. right? Is it higher income? There are different stratifications within the income, right? But also the high likelihood of having families in that in that demographic, right? Right. right. So if you go into a geriatric population as a pediatric dentist, you're not going to do very well, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we took our marketing company's advice. They they sent us some maps. We had some discussions about the various locations that we had picked, mm-hmm. and they they broke it down to that granular level. Right. So. Well, that goes. Um, that's a, a conversation I've had with some people. Like I know you're on the same boat. You push rural, like rural's great, or like a semi-rural theme. Yeah, for but sure. you also need to make sure, like, are there are there two things? Are there kids and are there jobs? Because there's a lot of areas that I kind of looked at, like in Iowa, mm-hmm. that like would have fit well for my simple-minded lifestyle. But like small t- – and there's nothing wrong with small towns as long as there's like some economy there to like support – Oh, of course. You know, working jobs with dental insurance and like young kids. But there's a lot of communities like in super rural, mm-hmm. rural Missouri that are just like old towns that like don't have a lot of kids – and the kids that are there, it's like 90% Medicaid, which you can always go practice there and probably be okay. But like there's a, a line to walk between being like too rural where like you're doing yourself a disservice or you're handcuffing yourself versus like just rural enough that there's still like growth and kids and jobs in that area too. There's One, is to it walk. growing or shrinking? Right. right to, to your point. Yeah. Like yeah. are there jobs there? Is, uh, 
are things moving or people moving out of that town or are they mm-hmm. moving in? Right. So. Which is tough because like that's now the theme. Like if you look at population maps and at least in the Midwest, like right. Iowa, Missouri that we're familiar with, you know, like all of the super rural counties you always see in the red every year, you know, negative 3%, negative yeah. 5%, but all the like, you know, it's like things have gone from urbanization to like suburbanization. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing these halos blow up. Um which is like where everybody wants to flock flock to. So, you know, and it's it seems like you've got to do a little bit more homework now to find those areas that are pockets because a lot of pediatric dentists kind of like to, you know, there's not like the cat's out of the bag or like there's a big secret that's now out, but it's like, I feel like you've got to be pretty, there's consequences to where you decide to open up a practice at and you got to really do your homework. Like there's kind of, I feel like there was maybe a set of golden days like 20 years ago that we kind of missed out on where you could, there just weren't as many pediatric dentists mm-hmm. and you could plop down anywhere and sort of establish roots. But you got to do a little bit more homework now so that you're not either like super rural where there's no jobs or like there's in, a, in an area that's like way oversaturated. But it just kind of depends, you know, geographically where you're at too. I think so, but not necessarily. Are, I mean, are you in the same location that's practicing the similar kind of dentistry too? Mm. Right? That's, that's, yeah, well... Okay, that was one of the things I wrote. Am down. I jumping ahead? Should well, no, I, no. Honestly, I have you should no. Have shared your notes with me. I have no. I should have. <laughs> I have no coherent thought process to what came into my head. I was gonna say, um, this is coming from a guy with like an N of one. I've started one office, so like it doesn't. Yeah. It's and it, my formula wasn't that complicated. But um, you've got to think of like you know in terms of like dentist population ratio. You know, you can do these reports and put pins and maps and say, is there a pediatric dentist here? And you look at all the pediatric dentists, but like. It sometimes, sometimes just because you put a pin as a pediatric dentist doesn't mean that that office is either a functioning full time mm-hmm. or providing the same services that you would provide. And I found that out through just like learning about some of the other pediatric dentists in our area. Yeah. You know, a lot of pediatric dentists have satellites or open up a practice and they're only there two days a week. Or um, I found a couple offices that the guy, um, you know, that the group, um, you know, they're only there two days a week and they do Mm -hmm. old school dentistry. They don't do any white zirconia crowns. They don't do tongue tie stuff. They don't do sedation, you know, so you almost have to really vet the other pediatric offices because even though there might be what looks like on paper, plenty of pediatric offices, there's still Mm -hmm. a big void or like, um, a a demand that's waiting to be fulfilled in that area too. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. But you also have to practice where you want to live. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There may be some good demographics, but if you don't want to live, you know, in the middle of South Dakota, then, then yeah, it's tough. See, I don't know if you're on the, the no offense to anybody listening from South Dakota. I know. Well, that's what's hard. (laughs) So I follow all these Facebook pages, as you know, and you see somebody that's like, there was one on, a startup page I think it was on like making of a dental startup or something but somebody posted like you know I'm currently practicing in the midwest and like the people here are a little bit too small-minded and the particular person I think was an immigrant or you know a foreign practicing dentist or something and you know like was kind of weighing the choice do I practice where I can make good money and where there's demand but I don't want to live or do I go to someplace like you know Dallas or Austin or LA or one of these really saturated areas, you know, and it's like, it's such a hard decision because, but I still feel like if you do enough homework, you can find places where there's both, or you can kind of live in one spot and commute a certain direction a ways. I don't know, but it's just, there's a reason this is such a hot topic because there's so many ways you can go about it. And it's such like a life altering decision, but there's so many factors that go into it. Yeah. It's hard to move your practice once you've established it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. You're locked in. So how'd you make that decision going to Troy? Well, so it was complex because I initially looked at starting in Southern Iowa, um, did this thing like my 
demographic process was not that complex. Mm-hmm. I got, went on the U.S. Census Bureau yeah. website, and you can right. type in any county, and they'll tell you pretty much anything you want to know about that county. Right. So one of the things I looked at was I picked a couple different areas in the Midwest I liked, and then for the county, it'll tell you the population of the county and the percent of the population under um, like under six. Mm-hmm. So you just do the math, you can calculate a rough estimate of how many yeah. like kids are, yeah. you know, practicing kids would be in that area. And so then I just started like calculating that for the counties that I was looking in, um, in these rural areas. Um, so I kind of narrowed it down there and then I started looking at like location of family, which is a lot of what, like 99% of people are going to practice in an area that's either close to their family or close to their spouse's family. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where people maybe get into trouble is like, if you're a resident, you practice somewhere, but then you marry a girl who wants to you know, kids come along and wants mm-hmm. to fly back to the nest to where mom's at, then, you know, where grandma's at, then you get yourself into a bind. But, um, but anyways, my wife is from Peoria and then I have family down this way. Like it made sense from that location. I wanted good hunting. I wanted to be able to buy a farm someday, which is like my end game. Like I want to live on a farm and be a farmer. So, um, can't wait to join you. Dude, it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> that's my therapy. Starting next year, I'm taking every other Thursday off and I'm going to just like go sit on a little my little side by side out there and go no and yeah it's my therapy away from the office but but yeah that's how I picked it just like this is the general location I wanted to be I kind of zoned into like northeast Missouri Um, I didn't want to live on the Illinois side because the tax there's tax consequences and difficult difficulties with Medicaid so I like the Missouri side of things as far as that was set up and then uh, I kind of identified like Lincoln County as one of the real fast growing counties Mm -hmm. um, on that map that you see population up and down a big growing population Um, not a super high income area and you kind of attest that earlier like mm-hmm. i i'm not the type that wanted to work in a profi palace because that was kind of my old associateship yeah. and yeah. i just sat there all day and super cool guys but i just felt bored and i'm like there's i feel you feel like you're not using your skill set yeah, right for sure so um but now it's like flipped on the opposite and now there's a lot of days i'm like man 90 percent of production is just me doing like operative stuff like yeah. i would love to have a couple hygiene columns of like healthy you know whatever but the parents are super appreciative they are yeah Yeah. it's great people and and it's you i feel like um i feel like i do a lot of good in the world at the end of the day versus just doing like profi checks you know you get a lot of kids helped out which is nice but um but i uh i lay in the bed what's what's saying i don't know i lay in the bed that i've made or whatever i made the decision to practice in a high cavity risk area high needs area but you um my population like yours i'm assuming is not um high uh like a high income you know, like the household income is very, as you know, in Troy is like mm-hmm. very middle class, like working families. Yeah. But it seems like that's where the cavities are at. So there's so much demand that like there's going to be endless supply of cavities to fix. I feel like I think Washington's kind of the same vibe. Sort it's of, right? similar. It's a little bit higher middle class, higher middle class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, just blue collar dentistry is what I've called it. Just parents are very appreciative of your service that you're providing. And yeah. I'm providing a service. I'm not just doing a profi check. And right. so, yeah, mm-hmm. pretty similar. Dude, I had a the sidebar because I thought of this, but I had a challenge. It fits the bill of this today. Like perfect textbook kid. 12-year-old, my last patient of the day was like a 12-year-old kid who is like straight bombed, but like mom's working mom. He has split insurance, primary mm-hmm. Delta, secondary Medicaid. So it's great because she doesn't have any out-of-pocket expenses, but like right. he hasn't been – like a couple of dentists tried working on him when he was younger, couldn't get anything done. And now I'm like able to get some stuff done with him. But like he literally – like the 12-year molars are just barely through the gums and like all the grooves are like incipient and pitted out. And like, like you know, the, like where do you end the margin type of question, right. you know. Yeah. So I ended up doing like a bunch of huge occlusals and like 
a bunch of like glass of hunter buildups. Like he's going to need crowns. I did a stainless steel crown on 19. I did a huge MOD on a premolar. I worked on it for like an hour and a half. I got done. I'm sweating. I'm like, you know, there's, I feel like there's a lot of pediatric dentists that see like one kid like that in like a year or something like yeah, that. That's right. that extensive. And it seems like that's a, not an uncommon patient. Like in my pretty practice. common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Occurrence in my practice as well. Yeah, in Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me then as your practices kind of have evolved because now you've done offices. Well, I guess office two was a was a buyout, so slightly Correct. different. You yeah. still have a different set of questions than homework to do and stuff. Yeah, but like sure. with this new office, did you use the same approach for like demographics or did you like – have you used – what's the company I wrote down? Uh, Dent – Dentographics. Have you? Does that ring a bell? Have you Doesn't. used those guys before? No. So, did you use? You have like a marketing company you use for it? Yeah. So my original marketing company that I no longer use. Uh, they're they're just way too expensive. But sure. I had them run demographic reports. I so in the my first office I solely used that uh, that marketing company. Mm-hmm. This next practice that we built from the ground because you you alluded to the fact that the second practice was an acquisition. Right. So this one we just built, we used a marketing company, we used the census data, mm-hmm. we used our Henry Shine rep, and we used another company, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but we used those four combinations, and then for every, because our model now is building new practices and opportune areas mm-hmm. in St. Louis, using a lot of these demographic reports, and so we take all of that and we build a re- proposal mm-hmm. that me and my partners review okay and so when we review this we say okay this is a great area mm-hmm. and we're getting even like getting into the next level of that we're taking it and taking business intelligence are you familiar with that term no 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 educate no? me Go yeah on. so Continue. business intelligence it's basically just taking data and i mean you can take spreadsheets on spreadsheets and just put it into various platforms that'll push out data okay. that can help you make decisions. Oh, okay. So you can take all this data and it can tell you where your patients are coming from, like a lot of your demog- uh, like internal demographics, what's their income, what's whatever you put into there, you mm-hmm. can pull out of that um, to help you make these decisions on where to move the next practice to. Could you just cheat and see where they're at, wherever they're building like a new target at? Just go set up a practice right A Trader Joe. A right? Trader Joe. Yeah. Dude, I, actually though, like let them do the pay the of bill, course. right? And yeah. I'm pretty sure that's like, I've definitely heard of a, I don't know, Aspen or somebody does that where they just like see where all these big box retailers are. That's like, let those big fortune 500 companies do the spent, write the check for the demographic right. data. And then you just like set up shop next to them or something. Sounds like an Aspen dental. It sounds like yeah. it, right? Yeah. I think they're doing one in Wentzville right now. So it's oh, well, per- okay. perfect. Well, then, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So you said that Henry Shine is that, I didn't know they, will they help give you some heads up or like, well, is it more of a verbal thing? Like, Hey, we're seeing like. A lot of stuff out this way or what kind of no you have to ask for it and it's once you get to a certain level so it's these emerging markets once we became three practices henry shine reached out to us and said hey you're in this category category of emerging markets okay uh so they give you special privileges to internal data so that's cool yeah and i wouldn't say their data is the best i would say the between the marketing uh, and this third party company that we use is probably the best uh, information that we get, but it's helpful. Mm-hmm. That's uh, really cool. I didn't yeah. know that that was a thing. So you just have to like be on Team Henry. I assume like Patterson and the bigger guys kind of all do the same thing, but that's cool that that's a resource. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Huh. I think I was too much of like a little a little fish in a big pond when I started out to like get any of those perks from. I use Getsy. I don't yeah. Know, yeah. Getsy's kind of like a Midwest. We use a combination, but Henry Shine just. I think they're trying to get most of our business, so they try sure. to apply these additional perks, right? It makes yeah. sense, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so yeah, you're kind of taking it to another level of like, you know, 
which kind of goes back to like, I feel like the, the really obvious like home run spots are getting a little bit harder to come by, mm-hmm. at least in like my, you know, like St. Louis area for us. But I think the same, like I have a buddy that's trying to open up a practice like in Denver and like one night I was just helping him like look around and stuff or he was playing with the idea. And like, you start looking at like pins of dental offices and like literally you can't scroll in zoom in far enough on like google maps for all the pins to even show until you're in like a 10 block radius because there's so like so many at some point an area just becomes like a lot of dentists where it's it's it gets a lot harder where you need the that higher level of resources to like dial in where you know where you need to be at i guess right yeah but um okay what else did i have scribble so income we talked about um how big? How big? It Washington is it Washington County? What county are you? No, it's Franklin County. How? What's the popula- population in Franklin County? Franklin County. Great question. I can only remember from my data, my demographics. We did so. There's no pediatric dentist within 22 miles as a crow flies. Right. My office. That's awesome. So we did 15 mile radius. Mm-hmm. We didn't do solely just the um, county, but mm-hmm. it was about 160,000 people within that 15 mile radius. That's crazy. That's yeah. a lot of people without a pediatric yeah. dentist. Yeah. Well, and that's like, you know, this goes back to like consequences of to where you decide to plant those roots at because the other perk that doesn't get talked about a lot with like these semi-rural setups is that a good term for what yeah. you what you call I like the term blue collar dentistry rural yeah, yeah okay yeah. whatever I like the blue collar it's not term. suburbia but it kind of is it kind it's of an is extension like I mean, give it like twenty years and it'll probably yeah. be suburbia right right I mean yeah. Winsville you're not far from there no so. give it enough time and it'll all merge together yeah. probably um, but like. Um, we're saying that with the consequences to like where you open up at, but a lot of, uh, a lot of what doesn't get talked about is like your overhead, mm-hmm. like your expenses, like it's way easier to keep, in my opinion, like your, your profit margin in check and your expenses in check when your rent, you know, your fixed costs, which are the huge portion of your costs, like rent and payroll and salary, stuff like that is bit rent being a big one. You know, there's a huge difference in where we're practicing, where it's like 15 to 20 bucks a square foot versus like 40 bucks, like 35, 40 oh, yeah. bucks, like in a big city. I mean, that as it's like humongous and that's not just that, but your payroll's higher, your taxes are higher. There's more like inspections and things like the build out process. Uh, did you notice a difference in build out between Washington? Because your new office is in, in more of the city somewhere, yes, right? Yeah. St. Peter's. Yeah. yeah. Was, uh, where there's like, so this is a good comparison because you've kind of got more of a rural type <clears throat> office that you built and now you've got St. Peter's, which is a, a bigger, more established, you know, main suburb of the city. What were some differences you noticed when, like, between the two offices that you set them up, I guess? Well, we also built during COVID on the mm-hmm. second one, right. which also plays a factor. Mm-hmm. So my contractor said, hey, I built your first office in 100 days. It's going to be 150 days for the second one. Mm-hmm. Just given all the delays, there's a supply chain issue. They're, right. getting, they're having a hard time getting, you know, materials and equipment and there's delays on everything. Sure. So that was a big part of it. Uh, so increase in price, we saw like 10 to 11% increase in equipment. So I would say the biggest difference is the cost per square footage. Mm-hmm. I, I remember to your point, I was talking to the banker. We had to go through this interview process to make sure they could lend you the money. Right. And they asked cost per square foot. And in Washington, I paid eight dollars a square foot. <laughs> and the gal on the phone, she goes, "Could you repeat that? You said eight, like just eight, just yeah. eight, not like yeah." She goes, "I it. talked to somebody in Manhattan the other day. It was like one hundred eighty or two hundred dollars per oh, square foot. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's insane. So, I mean, you get those perks further out from the city of uh, cheaper rent. So that was probably the biggest thing. But otherwise, comparable. Not like inspection. I've heard some horror stories, but like." 
like in the city, you have more like red tape with like inspections. You got to get a permit to put a sign up and a permit to do this and that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if it, did you run into much of that? Or we didn't run bad? into that in the particular county that we're build we built in now, but we are running into that a little bit into the next office that we're we're building. Oh yeah, so, okay. Yeah. So yeah, we'll have to do this. We'll do this podcast again in like. I don't know what the time frame is. Nine months. Nine months. Yeah. Call a year. Well, let's just do it every nine months. Do it every nine months yeah. and see Yeah, the, the next office update. <laughs> In like five years, we're going to be at office like 18 here. No, it's okay. No, yeah. we'll, we gotta, we'll pump the brakes eventually. It's fine. <laughs> so when you're building these, um, you know, you've done two build outs and an acquisition here, but your build outs, you're not doing standalone buildings. You're looking for... Um, lease space of some yeah. kind like building in so just kind of wanted to touch on that too like what uh what do you you know let's say you do your demographic analysis and you kind of dial in you and your partners look at this higher level of data and say this is kind of the area we want to be in then the reasonable next step is working with you know your commercial realtor and finding mm-hmm. a space what what does that next step look like for you when you're looking at like you know you're obviously not building buildings and we can touch on that too but like yeah. how do you how do you approach that next step as far as like what physical space do i want to be in so we go between really just what's available. There's a lot of, there's, there's not a lot of, um, there's a lot of demand or not so much anymore. Um, but there's not a lot of opportunities out there for lease spaces right now, at least in the moment. So we look at what's available, what's accessible. Mm-hmm. We're trying not to build in these medical complexes where you have to go inside this building and then find out where your space is. Sure. I know you're sim- you're kind of set up like that. Right. But it's a very it's manageable. small. Yeah, it's, it's manageable. like a small two-story little thing. Yeah. But there's a couple in the city that are like, there's one in O'Fallon that's like four stories you go yeah. into. You're like, what button do I press? Yeah, yeah, where am I going? Where, so yeah, yeah. we're trying to find a place that's just easy to get to, accessible. Mm-hmm. We're not, I know a lot in the general dental space, you're trying to look at volume of traffic and who's passing by and visibility and all that. We're not necessarily looking at that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so then it's going back, that kind of surprised me. You said that um, availability is limited because my my viewpoint is very limited i guess just driving around in troy but it seems like there's a fair amount of commercial real estate for Mm -hmm. sale is it a matter of like where you're looking at in these higher demand areas there's not a lot or is it not the right one like it's not set up well or is it just the the good ones are hard to find or like i i just surprised me i would think now in a post-covid era that commercial like the ball would be in your court as a you know like trying to find the space we would have thought so as well but the inventory is it's it's opening up as businesses close unfortunately because Mm -hmm. of covid but uh, the inventory has been pretty limited, uh, really? especially where we're looking in particular, not because mm-hmm. they're high volume places. We're not at an Aspen dental that's going into a, in front of a Trader Joe, but right. we're, we're looking in some of these areas that are growing. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's part of the problem. We don't know. Maybe. Yeah. 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 I don't that. I don't know. This has all been weird too, because this all has happened and COVID has changed right. the, the landscape of this so much. But yeah, I mean, everybody was saying this was the end of commercial real estate, like as we know it. And if you owned people that own commercial real estate were like pooping their pants because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose tenants and nobody's going to rent. And I thought I got in trouble. I, I don't know if you ran into this too, but like I negotiated the lease or like was in process, like as mm-hmm. COVID like kind of hit. So we, I think we were at the point where we had like a letter of intent or something, like kind of a handshake deal yeah, on how the sure. deal was going to go. And then COVID hit and got shut down and there was kind of a pause. And like, I, I'm probably too much of a pushover. Like I, I could have probably gone back and like pushed for more and said, you know, like, hey, you know, now, like 
nobody's gonna want to rent this space besides me like yeah you know can uh can we negotiate more but at that point like i kind of touched on it but i didn't get a lot of you know my, my landlord didn't work with me so much on some of that so i kind of just rolled over and signed everything but i know some people i, th I think it gave them leverage to like get more free rent get more tenant improvement stuff like that not yeah. in our situation so far yeah and we've run into more issues there's stuff in the contracts and the lease contracts that we've looked at that before were a non-issue, but now with COVID, there are mm -hmm. certain restrictions as far as if we close down again. Yeah. Are you getting that put into like your, some of your, we're trying, to, trying yeah. to, but sometimes yeah. they're kind of, I think I tried putting that in there too. Like yeah. was once again, that the actual lease itself was getting drafted. Had to spend $5,000 for a lawyer to write up this, yeah. you know, to go over the contract, right. uh, which goes back into like, I always do this public service announcement. If you're trying to do a startup, you got to have a lot of, you know, a fair amount of cash on hand because mm -hmm. that's one of the many expenses that's like hard to get through your loan. Like it's, you know, but it just costs more than you think it does for them right. to sift through all these things. But yeah, my, my attorney tried to get that put in there where, you know, if, if the pandemic flares up and there's a mandatory shutdown, we get rent abatement. But um, we didn't get it. And to be honest, probably people would disagree. But like in my eyes, like, if I'm a tenant, like I signed on the dotted line to make that payment regardless. Like, I feel like it's more my responsibility to like, you know, the, the landlord has obligations too to the bank and like, doesn't get a free pass from the bank. So like, why should I, you know, so I, I'm just, I'm more of an advocate for having a good emergency fund and sort of self-insuring against that. Oh yeah. And I hundred percent agree. Yeah. I think well, in this particular situation, cause we're in a lease negotiation right now <laughs> right. is we were trying to, you know, offset and say, Hey, we'll pay that. We don't mind paying that, but we'll pay it. If there's a shutdown of 150 days and we'll just extend our lease hundred. See, days. that's a good way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Just add it up on the back yeah, end. Yeah. Of I think that makes a ton of sense. Right. That's a good comment. Yeah. A good common ground thing there. Um, but they weren't having it. So. They still weren't having it. <laughs> they weren't anyways. having it. This yeah. seems like my limited, I, I just, I have a negative, a bad taste in my mouth from landlord interactions, like the whole negotiation phase, like, cause everybody's just trying to like make money off it. Cause it's just of all, course. it's all business yeah. deal. Right. And everybody, right. and, and I'm just, I feel like I'm wired to be too much of a, Nice guy pushover. That's maybe why I paid an attorney a bunch of money to be like kind of the 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 good cop bad cop routine yeah. part of it. But I but it was you should have I should have yeah. That's yeah. not some. I'm very realistic. Like there's certain things I'm not going to do myself, and one of them is my own like you know legal documents for my for the the lease. But yeah, I don't know. That whole process was like one of the more stressful things. Like I I very much dislike doing that whole process. But as you know, that's like part of the one of the many things that's stressful about the startup phase is like getting the the lease dialed in and I don't know I would not I don't look forward to having to do that again anytime yeah. soon it's like dentures right it's like dentures yeah, it's you're like, like dentures. I know how to do it but man I don't want to have to I'm going to send you to somebody else to do to that, do that? Yeah, 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 yeah yeah at some point like, I'm just going to write a check go talk to this guy <laughs> right right but uh, and then so after this we'll just kind of roll because we are like plowing through a lot of these good topics here hopefully somebody out here is listening to this who's thinking about doing a startup somewhere and it's like oh, there's some good points here that are getting kicked out I asked okay Excuse me. Let's talk about number of GPs. That was something I thought about today. Like, you know, if you look out, well, let's back up. Dentist to population ratio. Is that something that gets, that you find or that gets spit out? Because it's kind of, I feel like in pediatric dentistry, it doesn't mean quite as much. And it's kind of like a hard number to interpret anyways, because there's a lot of variables that go into it. Right. Do you pay attention much to it, to that with your reports? We don't, but we look kind of at the uh, general average age. So mm -hmm. in Washington, a lot of the GPs are older. Right. They see a kid walk in, and they're like, you're going to Corey. For sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. The, you know, if a kid starts to look like he's going to cry, he's like, you're going to Corey. Yeah. So mm -hmm. 
you know, that was part of the equation for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't take that into consideration. Again, we're, we're providing a different service than they are ultimately. Right. Really. Yeah. And so we, we fall into a different category of services mm-hmm. for that. I definitely agree yeah. too. Yeah. I think, um, I feel like if you see a lot of GPs in an area and it depends again, but like a lot of, you know, GPs opening up, but a lot of times that's a sign of like growth. Like, you know, if you see a lot of general practitioners in a city and like an increasing number of them, like normally means that there's growth and there's probably going to be a fair amount of kids to go with. Not always, but like it's not necessarily a bad thing to see a lot of GPs. Like the, I think the golden ratio, they tell you for like GPs, like if you can find one for every 2000, but there's so many exceptions. There's like dentists that crush it with a much smaller ratio than that. And, you know, you could have a ratio of one to 10,000, but if there's like hardly any kids going back to what we talked about and it's a very old population, you know it's you're gonna gonna struggle a little bit but um also to your point i've been surprised too with like some of the gps like uh, my office is at least pretty heavily referral based Mm -hmm. i assume you probably get a fair amount of it too right um but like it's uh it's also worth vetting like if you're looking at going to an area maybe and you're nervous because man there's a lot of dental offices they're not all pedo offices but like it's important to know like sometimes you'll have gps that are like big offices and nobody in there like seeing kids and they'll send you everybody and some of them like kind of play the role as the pediatric dentist in that area like secrets out but like quincy illinois is a good example Mm -hmm. so like there's no pediatric dentist in quincy which is like a big city like a pretty good size city right right? um so i've like gone up there a couple times and like met a lot of the gps and stuff and i get a fair amount of referrals which is still like an hour and a half away it's a long drive but i get a lot of kids from quincy um especially for like referrals for sedation and stuff but there's like a gp office one gp office in town that does um that it's a general practitioner, but I think she has, or they have like hospital privileges somehow and they do a handful of cases, like the the bigger cases. So they kind of play that role to do like the sedation side of things, um, which is not a big deal because it's a long ways away, but like you can kind of vet that out and sort of use that information however you will, like in your decision of where you're starting up at, I guess. So it's important to know, but like there's a big group in Troy that's like same thing, every single kid that comes in if the kid looks at him wrong they're just like no we're not messing with it you know right Um, it's not a bad problem to have but yeah i don't know so what's uh so what's coming down are we gonna crack into this one yeah sure should we yeah Yeah, let's try it we got the or is this done no we still got a little bit left i don't want to crack into it if you don't want to are we good no i brought these both to open okay let's do it because i had again i had a dozen but you told me two i know because you're hunting i am hunting well i also thought friday yeah i so i've been trying to do um like a sober week here of like no coffee and no alcohol. Oh, uh, no coffee. And I haven't because uh, you won't have it available in Colorado. Um, it's it's a hydration thing. Like okay. I want to like really perform well when I'm up at altitude hunting. Yeah. And um, I know like if I start drinking coffee, I just like pee all day, and I feel like I can't keep <laughs> fluids down. So that's gonna be. So I've been, and, and it's honestly been kind of eye opening. So this is like day three, and it's probably the. I don't think I've gone three days without caffeine, for like. Yeah, five how are you plus feeling? years um interesting i get bad headaches um like in the mid-afternoon sometimes like towards the end of the day okay but i've been sleeping a little bit better and um and it also has made me realize how horribly like not no i can't say that not horribly addicting but like it's straight up a drug and we just don't admit it you know yeah, it's just course. everybody's cool with it like it's a right. low-grade mild stimulant that's in all these drinks and just because it's so mainstream we're cool about it yeah. but like I think I like the, the like headache and like, 
Like I got really cold and shivery for a little bit today. I don't know if that was the caffeine or not, but after lunch, like a lot of times I'll have like an afternoon, like scoop of mountain ops energy, like a pre-workout to yeah. like power through the rest of the afternoon. I haven't been doing that. And I just like was craving it. I'm like, man, I like very mild symptoms of like Good. a low key drug addiction. You know, I'm, I'm very exaggerating here, it's but no, you know it's what I mean? It's the most common drug in the world, yeah, right? and, yeah, and everybody's just cool with it. So yeah. it's kind of eye-open. Like, I feel like it's not a bad idea to do, like, a little sabbatical from it once in a while just to, like, feel it out, you know? No, I get it. I've been trying to cut back on the beer because you don't get a dad bod like this without beer. It's impressive, honestly. And uh, so during the week, I've been doing it. My sleep habits have been better, but I can't cut the caffeine. Really? I have too many offices though. You got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> and they say like a mild amount of caffeine improves performance, which I which I believe. But I don't know. I it think uh, I right. think so after Colorado I'll go back on it. But yeah, this week this is the one exception alcohol I'm doing. I haven't I had some drinks on Labor Day. We did like a float trip and then a uh, few beers today. But other than that, like I'm gonna try to just I've been drinking I so health tip. So like at the office I got like a order a bunch of Nalgene bottles. Oh, You've yeah. seen that Nalgene bottle, mm-hmm. right? And I got them in red, and I put my logo on them, and I they're kind of expensive, so they're I don't just give though. them out. They're I've cool. Seen them. Yeah. Seen, yeah, they're cool. Yeah. So I um love the logo, by the way. Thank you, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, um, but it's nice. I like kept one for my office, and I keep it at my desk. And the first thing that I get there in the morning is my theory is like I'm always dehydrated when like you know you sleep for eight hours, yeah. then everybody slams coffee right away, which makes you just pee out even more. Right. So yeah. now instead of drinking coffee, I try to drink like I fill up the Nalgene. It's thirty two ounces, and it's usually gone by like. 10 o'clock patient or whatever and then I fill up another one over lunch so like I just am which granted I'm like going to the bathroom all day long too yeah, but um, but I've been just hydrating a lot and that Nalgene bottle if you just keep it at your desk at work like you're just staring at it and like it's something to do with your you know like it makes drinking a lot of water super like easy so I don't know I fear like that's a good a good health tip instead of drinking like coffee and stuff I've just been slamming water with that Nalgene bottle works I have well. to agree with that I have an Nalgene bottle but I also right next to it have a 32 ounce coffee mug that's how many cups better. of coffee are you a day type of guy I I could drink so I didn't start drinking coffee until dental school Did you out really? of necessity now mm-hmm. I have to drink probably eight or nine a day cups cups are you joking no how do you sleep at all i i can drink one right before bed and still fall asleep really yeah i had a patient in the other day uh the not the the patient but the dad it was like you know you get like a new family but it's like teenagers like a 15 year old a 13 year old and i still let him come in whatever but uh, yeah. the um the dad like shows up and he's got one of those monsters that's like you know the monsters that are so big there's like a screw top lid to them yes. you know and he's sitting there drinking it and the kids got like a like Teenager with a bunch of like posterior and approximal. Okay, I almost refer. I don't to know you. how we got the cavities. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of those situations. But I, I, I've been progressively sending more of those kids to GPs mm-hmm. at a certain age cutoff. But like, um, they weren't Medicaid. They were private insurance, and like the kid was a good kid. I'm like, I'll get them. So sometimes if I if I want to, I'll get them like cleaned up and stabilized. See them for a couple of recalls yeah. and then graduate them on. So that way I feel like I did some good in the world, right? But yeah. Anyways, I'm. Talking about this kid's treatment plan, all these class twos and things I hate doing, talking to dad. And dad's like, I'm like, you know, just got to keep keep him on the brushing. Let's get electric toothbrush, you know, that monster stuff. I don't know if he's into that, but try to keep that, you know, if he can do it just at meals. I'm going through my spiel and dad's like, oh, yeah, we're around these all day. He's like, I work nights, so I drink four of these a day. I'm like, you drink four of those a day? That thing's like literally like the $5, like huge can. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I drink like, I think he said like 1,600 milligrams of caffeine is pretty standard for him. Wow. And then he like stays up all night playing video games like one of those guys. Oh, yeah. And, still, and then he wonders why his kids have cavities. Right. And it's yeah. like, Don't like, know. Quite the role model we got going on here. <laughs> but yeah. What other things can we, I don't know. I feel like we've kind of reviewed that, this topic. What are we on podcast time-wise? Let's see. Cause we could just keep, oh, we got some time here. So 
what else have we talked about? <clears throat> Office location, um, physical space. Um, I know you've had interest in multi-office. Yeah, let's talk show. about – yeah, let's go into that. Well, what's your – like, what's your ambitions with that? I know okay. you waver. Every time I talk to you, you waver. We I, talk quite I a do, bit. We do. Okay, so here's where I'm at now, and, and you can shed light on this. I go back and forth because the further I get into practice ownership, the more I, I start to strongly see the pros and cons of single – a solo practice first. And we started touching on this, I think, before the podcast. But if yeah. you're we're right at the beginning, you know, if you're a solo doc, I've I've always liked the concept because a lot of my role models were solo practitioners, single doc, old old school guys in a single office. I like it because you get to call your own shots. The um, you know, you're kind of the king of your own castle, you kind of run everything how you want it, and it's simple. Um, and I think it's good for overhead. Like I feel, and you can correct me when I'm, if I'm wrong here, but it seems like it's a little bit easier to keep some of your expenses in check because it takes away, um, some of the travel. Like, I feel like there's, it seems like there's a jump when, if I wanted to open another practice, which maybe I will, but like, like there's a lot of expenses and headache incurred. And my question is, is it worth, can I do more dentistry and do more good and, or be more profitable if I do that? And I just don't know how the math would work out with just an opening another practice or two. It seems like maybe like if I if you can do it on a bigger scale and get to like four or five, six offices, then you can because the, the amount of work it takes like to put the infrastructure in place for a couple office, like two offices is it's not that much more. You know, the, the barrier to entry is that first office or two and after that yeah. it gets easier is what it seems like. Right. So that that's where I, you know, I just I like the idea of low overhead and like maxing out efficiency in one office. Um, I also, at my previous associateship, we had four offices mm-hmm. and there was just constantly like, not miscommunications, but difficulties in driving from like, you know, what office am I in this day? And like, you know, lots of like time and manpower spent creating schedules and which doc is going to be in which office. And then you've got like, you know, two of them are satellite offices that you kind of split rent on, but you're only in one or two days a week yeah. and you're paying a little bit more rent for space that you're utilizing a very small amount of the time. And I just didn't like the logistical um, headaches as much of having to bounce around so much where I, it's to me, I kind of like, I know where all my equipment's at and it's all in one place. I don't have to buy three of everything and it's right in the office. Um, and I think I can do from a, from a financial standpoint, I think I can do as much dentistry as I personally as a one doc provider would yeah, like to do in one sure. practice and, you know, keep my overhead at a certain level and keep all my numbers in check and really be efficient there. But um, all that being said, I also now fully appreciate the idea that it would be really cool as a long-term goal to have a couple offices serving a lot of areas and a lot of kids with a really well-run crew where it's kind of autonomous. Right. And then like you can continue to do dentistry while you're elk, elk hunting and not have to worry about like, you know, everybody sitting at the office twiddling their thumbs because you're not there. So yeah. it's just like this constant evolving like struggle in my head. But, you know, I just, it's something I'm still learning a lot about like what, um, you know, I don't know. I might just give you, you know, let you respond to that, I guess. But I'm just curious, like how, how, how do you approach that in your mind with like how you make that work or like what's the end game or how do you approach that? Yeah. I mean, I went into it with your mindset, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to own so a little bit of my story is I wanted to just own my own practice, go home every day after, run the business side of things. I enjoyed the business side of things. Mm-hmm. And then my banker stepped in and said, hey, you have a similar mindset to these guys that are orthodontists. So I partnered with them and we bought this practice two months after I opened my Washington practice. Mm-hmm. It all started from there. So to your point, like it's great having, it was great having one practice. 
But having multiple, I mean, dentistry is pretty isolating, right? For sure. Yeah. Absolutely is. And it really opened my eyes when I had this partnership and COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And trying to answer all those questions on my own, it was pretty challenging. So right now we have four, so there's four pediatric dentists, including myself. And it's just really great to see the collaboration. And, you know, I think I have great ideas and you have great ideas, but then talking to them and they're like, well, that's not a great idea. And they have great ideas too. Mm-hmm. So it just makes everything better. So treating a lot of the kids and going into these areas that are underserved is really our goal. So to your point, we, we mm-hmm. don't plan to have satellite offices where we're there one day a week. Okay. That's not our goal. We want to be, we want to have offices that we're there five days a week. Sure. You know, we're that we're just seeing a lot of kids that don't have anywhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of our goal. That's our mission is just like getting to spaces where kids need help. They're not getting the treatment they need, right? Mm-hmm. And it's fun because I can go on vacation. I'm going on vacation in two weeks. The place isn't going to burn down without me. Right. I have somebody to cover my patients, my call, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's some headaches too. It's kind of like having kids, right? Like that jump from zero to one, it's really stressful. Mm-hmm. So that first practice, you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. So then you you go from one to two, and you're like, I still have no idea what we're talking. I mean, we're always learning all the time, mm-hmm. even at the third office, and we we continue to learn. But I think it's fun, like being able to help and serve a community. I'm not necessarily the leader. There's a group of leaders that can make the thing function and improve. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. I have a side question I'm writing down so I don't yeah. forget about it. Um, but so, um, going well, I'll just go ahead and jump into it. I'm going to yeah. ask a hard question here for ask you it. to answer, okay? Just because I've, I've been genuinely curious. But yeah. I think one of the big things that would concern me if I were to make a leap or for dentists that make the leap is at some point, you know, you physically as one person can only do so much dentistry in so many offices, right? So yeah. you start relying on combination of associates and partners to make it work, mm-hmm. right? Um, what makes me nervous is... It seems, and I just, I know this end of one myself, like pediatric dentists tend to be sociable creatures that, you know, um, go through a lot of schooling and are very driven and like obviously have the personality and the work ethic to like put in a lot of hours and that delayed gratification. Um, I, I think you get a lot of them that whether they know it or not, like the ownership route. Mm -hmm. So it makes me a little bit nervous where, you know, does it... Where like if you hire an associate, employ them in the practice, you know, trying to make sure that they stay and fulfill that role. Because if one day they walk in and say, hey, I'm going to be done, all of a sudden it's a scramble and and you get stressed out. And I just feel like maybe I'm unique and more pediatric dentists are like that than I give them credit for. Like there's maybe the new trend in pediatric dentists. um, I'm still figuring this out, but, you know, just want to make a good living and pay off their student loans and don't want the headache. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's why corporate's doing well. But that's one of my big concerns with owning multiple practice would be the fact that if I hired a little Casey Getz Jr. to employ, like it might be fine and dandy for a year. But like you find those associates that are that are good, but in the background end up, you know, wanting to own their own practice someday. So do you does is that something that keeps you concerned and how do you address that or or kind of hedge your bet to like keep team members on board that way yeah we we thought about that from the get-go so each of our associates because i agree i think everybody eventually wants ownership of something right right but a lot of people want to be something a part of something larger right Mm -hmm. so we offer all of our associates a two-year track to ownership Mm -hmm. it's not hey we might consider you to be an owner here in two years it's 
you know, if you meet these criteria, you can buy into not just your practice, but the larger group. Mm-hmm. And so that we have a bunch of owners and then it makes it easier on yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not the one who has to make all the decisions. You mm-hmm. have a group of people, of smart people that sure. can make all the decisions. So each of my, I think that's how we've attracted such good talent is because all of our associates are amazing. Cool. They're, they're incredible. That's great. And so right now, uh, one of our newest associates, she just graduated. Actually, we have two that just graduated and they go through what I call uh private practice boot camp. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So my first associate that just graduated in July, she graduated from SLU and I work at SLU two days a month. So she, she already kind of went through that with me just being there. And so she knew kind of the, the process and the systems that we had in our office, but she still went through a three week process of um, specific topics not related to dentistry because you know you can graduate from residency and be pretty competent in what mm-hmm. you do as a pediatric dentist but we we I developed a program where they learn specific business topics how to read a P&L uh, what develops efficiency in an office all those types That's of really topics cool. yeah and so we keep refining that so three weeks later our next associate started and she did a four-week boot camp Mm -hmm. and it just it it got better as it went so they go through that private practice boot camp so that they can understand how to kind of run a business Mm -hmm. and so they can feel like and we touch there's there's a provider development program we have in our organization where you know we touch base every two weeks and then at a certain point every month and then they get leadership roles Mm -hmm. within the organization and then at two years if they've met those criteria, they can buy into the larger group. That's cool. And that's how we keep associates. And that's how we keep the momentum growing mm-hmm. for our group practice to keep growing. Well, it goes back to the, I, I do know you have, you seem to be one of the more structured pediatric dentists I've met. Maybe it's like your, your MBA background and you're just like the yeah. type of guy that's organized. But like, I feel like that's one of like a helpful characteristic or a helpful personality trait to have when you're doing a project of this scope or like growing yeah. a business of this scale is like having your systems really dialed in you know who mark costas is yeah yeah, yeah, yeah entrepreneur yeah. guy he like yeah. i feel like you're very much like his type of guy where he's very like systems motivated likes um you know flow chart structures like this is phase one and you graduate to phase two now you're speaking my three. language here we go right yeah <laughs> like let me pull out my little on my, the first my date practice all right. <laughs> <laughs> so then like your pedo boot camp your um private practice boot camp is it like a series of powerpoints or is it like do you, is it little one-on-one discussions how do you like what's yeah. the material like so i do it's a combination so it's a combination of i have handouts i have uh, it's all one-on-one discussion, but it's mm-hmm. a handout, so it's customized to that individual. Mm-hmm. If they want to talk more about one topic that I've outlined for them for this private practice boot camp, we'll talk more about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the particular individual now, my associate, my newest associate, she really wanted to dive into de novo, like the process of building out a de novo. Mm-hmm. So today we broke out all the components and we talked about it and she had a lot of questions and those questions drive a lot of thought into improving the process too. For sure. Yeah. It's like, a, uh, what's the saying? Like in residency, like see one, do one, teach one. Yeah. You know, see one, do one, but you learn the most when you do the teach one because it makes you like, um, a lot of like self-assessment on how yeah. you do things, you know, when people ask you questions. Right. So that's cool. But that's nice because like you said, it gives you the associate like some skin in the game and gives them, you know, some leadership roles and like lets them become sort of part of that, that bigger entity. So then how do you, like when the buy-in process comes, you said there's a checklist of things they've got to follow. Yeah. Um, 
Walk me through what's spelled out from day one in that checklist. You know, there's obviously X, Y, Z, but I feel like sometimes in a buyout, it's uh, or like if somebody wants to buy into a practice, mm -hmm. there's like some intangibles that go in there that are a little bit harder to quantify. Like, you know, it probably hasn't been an issue yet, but like once in a great while, you'll get such different like personality traits or like people just aren't jiving. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that you work that into a contract where like we have the option, like if, if, um, I don't know. Is that something that you plan for? Or do you think those people weed themselves out like where they're probably not going to want to buy in if they're not maybe on a personal level driving with the office? You know what I'm trying to ask, right? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. I think they're – so it has to be voted on by all the partners. That okay. They're, they're okay. into it. So there's, yep. you know, a legislative process, air quotes. Mm -hmm. uh, but, again, we, we try to hire people that are like-minded. There's obviously going to be some conflict in our – in our personalities, but if it was, we, we basically don't want to hire benign people that aren't going to contribute to the growth of the organization. Right. That just come and do the dentistry. If mm -hmm. we can hire associates, that's fine, mm -hmm. but we don't want to hire those individuals. We want to hire people that want to lead. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're ultimately either going to lead their own practice or grow another practice or we want those type of, I want to hire a bunch of Casey guests. I know. I know. <laughs> See, I, I think about that too. Now that I'm an owner, I sometimes, it's it's not a feel bad. I've touched on my previous associateship before because that was my you know I associated for like eight, eight nine ten months yeah. um, between residency and COVID, and um, you know it's so weird looking at something through associate eyes versus ownership mm -hmm. eyes. And now that I've been on both sides of it, like I don't know. I I'd like to think I was a good associate. I think I was because I I had good I'm numbers sure and were. I worked really hard. Yeah. But like at the same time. Um, you know, I think if I would have hired myself, I would have been frustrated because like it's a lot of work and time and effort to bring an associate on board mm -hmm. and then find out later that, you know, I, I left my associateship not because I didn't like the practice, but because we needed to end up, we found out we were too far away from family yeah. and then COVID just kind of was like the final straw that really solidified the decision. But like, we just wanted to be closer to, um, you know, family and stuff. But yeah, it's like, you know, and now that I'm on the practice ownership side of things like um uh, you just it, it gives you a different perspective on like how a good associate should behave and how to act and what an ideal associate looks like but it seems like you're looking for a very specific person if you ask what's the ideal associate somebody that not only is like extremely hard working and like does really good dentistry mm -hmm. good personality also is a team player and drives with everybody but also is like not too much of some of those things where they're just gonna like use you for a few years to pay off student loans and then just bail last last minute, which like, I don't think it's like that unreasonable anymore, of course. Like, but it's yeah. like, it's, that's kind of what I did to an extent. And so like, I don't feel guilty about it just in transparency, but like, if that was, if people, you know, if that's common with associates, then it makes it hard from a practice ownership standpoint to like feel confident. And it just makes it important to do your due diligence. Like you guys said, you do you yeah. hire rock stars, but you know, you obviously spend a lot of time with these people and I know you teach a lot. So you get mm -hmm. to know them like, and see some of their dentistry and make sure like they're going to be a good fit for the practice prior to ever letting them actually sign on the dotted line. Right. I guess. Yeah. yeah. They don't become a liability. Oh, that's a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah. Don't become right. a liability. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you structure like the buyout process, like the figure for it? Cause you know, it's, it's a more straightforward process if it's just like a single doc, single practice, bring an associate, you know, you price it out. But then there's always the issue 
you know, if you're a, a pediatric <clears throat> dentist and you do a million dollars in dentistry and it's valued at, you know, let's not say we're doing EBITDA buyouts, but we're just valuing on a percent collection or something, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you value it at 70% collection, $700,000 practice, but then another, you bring in an associate, all of a sudden it's a $2 million practice and it's not all spelled out ahead of time. And then they try to value it at 2 million, even though the associate helped them get to that point. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm paying for this additional fee. But I say that because it seems like it's way more complicated because you guys have all these, I mean, you might have to walk me through again, how you structure it because you've got parent corps and I don't know if you've got like shares set up somehow, mm-hmm. but how do you structure a buyout process so that it's like, um, fairly evaluated so you guys can pull some equity out? Like how do you structure that? Yeah, we try to treat it like a larger organization. So we value our company every year. We have a certain amount of units mm-hmm. in equity distribution and they do get diluted. So maybe I own 75% this year. If somebody buys out, then maybe next year I own 72%. I see. It doesn't matter. Like our partners don't care. We just want the success of the organization, right? We want to, we want to treat patients. Those are our bosses. That's what we always say. Our patients are our bosses, right? Mm-hmm. And then we want to make sure that we take care of our people so that they can take care of the patients. So um, I know that's not answering your question directly, but we the the me- mechanics of it is the first year or the first year they can buy in. So after year two, mm-hmm. they can buy in at an equivalent of their past two years average salary. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's a way more simple than I thought it yeah. was going to be. Right. I was expecting some big, like, really complicated no, equation here. No, no. Nice. So, so if you've averaged $250,000, let's say, and mm-hmm. that's just an arbitrary number, sure. over the past two years, and then you can buy that amount, and we try to internally um, finance that. So you oh, have okay. to go to a bank. That's cool. Yeah. So then could they can just elect to, like, take it off of their... Um, you know, their, their distributions, distributions yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So they can buy that many units the first year they're eligible. They don't get any voting rights that first year. Mm-hmm. And then the next year they could buy again at the same. Right. Right. So then the past two years, say it's $350,000 that the past two years they can buy in at that and they get a certain amount of voting rights. Okay. And then, and then the way that they figure out like ownership distributions or like, you know, their, your dividends, your draws, like you guys, mm-hmm. Once you buy in and they own a certain percentage of the the corporation or whatever, mm-hmm. do you you know is it profits get split up? Maybe maybe I'm going to ask a bigger question here because yeah, I ask wondered. away. Okay. I will be very transparent. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it so I don't sound like a monkey here. So I'm like <laughs> asking it intelligently. Um, if you have like just a dental practice in general and mm-hmm. you've got in theory, say four dentists working there, you yeah. know, and all four dentists are obviously not going to do the same amount of work because some are right. going to work more days and some are going to be higher producers. Mm-hmm. Um, some physician dentist groups, you know, split the pot evenly amongst everybody. Yeah. Um, do you guys do it sort of that way where like you take all the revenue that's brought in and, and then come up with a bottom line and then those, you know, whatever the, the distribution shares or the, uh, um, the draw is going to be you split up by percentage of like ownership or you immediately after what I mean immediately after oh like after you took yours yeah I took the test I went home and changed we had a scheduled meeting an hour later I said I don't think I'm ready for this this meeting mm-hmm. and they said I'm so sorry we have to have it we just had to figure out distributions of tax and all that I feel like you're constantly having meetings like I have time. a lot of meetings part of it is that I do 36 hours of clinical work per week mm-hmm. and with my new team members, associates, um, I'm going to pare that down to three days a week and then two admin days. 
Oh, okay. Which will help me out. That'll help you get caught up so you're not yeah. spending all these so extra So I have to drink hours. nine cups of coffee a day. To, like, just stay functioning with some of it. I mean, I stay up till one or two in, every night. Except for tonight, I have OR tomorrow. But You got OR tomorrow? Mm-hmm. How many cases you got lined up? I have three cases. Three cases? Yeah. Yeah. We just started taking Medicaid in Washington. Yeah, but you said, I like, you know, you're kind of doing it smart where you are being a little bit more judicial and I feel like I opened the floodgates early and yeah, but it helped your growth. It did. It's, it's yeah. a double-edged sword. I'm very aware of it. Like I, I love it and I hate it at the same time, but, um, but you but had a need here. I did. Sure. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I honestly, it, I feel like the more I have this conversation with, I feel like half the guests in the podcast, but I feel like what it ends up coming down to is, um, you know, if, if you don't mind like just working really hard, like on your dentistry side of things, it's it seems to be kind of a no-brainer not a no-brainer but it, it makes the decision easier to do it like yeah, if you're sure. the type of person that like you get done doing lots of like operative type work and mm-hmm. you feel really pooped at the end of the day like might not be for you but like to me i like doing it because it makes yeah. the day if i had to pick between like you know having a slower schedule or like seeing a lot of medicaid kids uh like it's just, it's it just stimulates my like problem solving brain because they're so complex like there's not to say like you can't get a private pay insurance yeah, page that has a lot right. going on, right? But yeah. like it seems like every one of these Medicaid kiddos that comes in, like most of them are good people and their kids just have so much going on. And it's mm-hmm. like every single one of them is like a complex Rubik's Cube. It's like, you know, I and I try not to take every one of them to GA by any stretch. I try to like if I can find a way to get it done in clinic without yeah. it, I can. But it's like I also am not the type of guy that's going to do like eight hall crowns on a kid or right. something, you yeah. know. So I – I try to think outside the box and stuff, but it's like some of them, it, it does, it does feel like work, but at, at least as of now, I don't mind it. And I feel like I might as well be in the trenches, like doing the hard yeah. dentistry while I'm young and eventually it's your skill. It does. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, there's really not a, a, a mouth that walks in. That's really bad that I really balk at anymore. I've had a couple kids where I for almost pull like, you know, it's like every single one of them, like, you know, when that you look at the bite wing and the decay is like especially in like first molars, you know, yeah. it's like, there's like, okay, I can do it. I can do a DO. And then it's like, I can do a crown. And it's like maybe a pulp and crown, but that decays. And then it's like at the bone level. And yeah. you're just like, yeah, I could try, but like six months, it's going to abscess for yeah. now. So yeah. it's like, I see, a, I feel like I end up seeing a lot of that and stuff, but it, it does. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so the, my, my GA days, I've quickly learned that my practice is, um, like, um, it's a glorified sedation practice and I didn't quite realize how extensive it was going to be, but I'm going from doing like right now I'm doing every other Friday and I started doing five cases when I start out. So 10 GA cases a month, then I went to six. So now I'm doing six cases a day. Um, and they're all full mouth stuff. Like Still every other Friday, every other Friday. And I started adding ones, adding days on, but, uh, starting in January, I'm going to like Tuesday, Friday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Friday, Wednesday. So I'm going to like five to six days a month. Yeah. And I'm still going to be, I'm like over a hundred kids deep on sedations right mm-hmm. now. Wow. Um, probably like two thirds of them Medicaid and a third of them, um, some sort of insurance or something. But, yeah. but like, they're not like all of them are like big cases, like eight yeah. packs and bombed out. Like a lot of zirconia, you know, just like upfront that like, I even tried to encourage parents. Like, I'm not afraid if mom's like, I want them out. I'm like, let's just, need yeah. to knee this and be done with it in five minutes and pluck them out, stuff some gel foam in and let's call it a day. Yeah. But like there's even so many of them that I, I looked up the number of stainless steel crowns I've done just in the 10 months. I think I've been open and it's like well over, it's like 1500 or something just wow. as ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, 
I don't know. Is Zirconia Crown? Not a Profi Palace. It's not a Profi <laughs> Palace, even though there's days where I just would love to walk in and just sit down to perfect hygiene kids. I actually comment, like, I'll, like, if I do a Profi on a kiddo or, like, do an exam and it's, like, 20 out of 20, like, pearly white baby yeah. teeth. Be like, you know, mom, this is really nice. Like, this is not common in this area. So, yeah. like, I appreciate that. And You're like, kind of surprised. You don't have much to talk about. I know. I, I know. I, my go-to line is I'm like, I can make stuff up if you want me to. But, like, your kid's mouth looks really nice. Like, right. you want to go get a prize, bud? Let's go get a prize yeah. at the prize chest. Like, let's go. And off we I don't go. know what to do with my time. I know. Like, yeah. then I make a balloon animal. Especially, like, just real talk, you know, if they're, like, you know, obviously somebody values your services if they're like totally self-pay or if they're on their your membership yeah, plan, they're right. paying out of pocket, right? Of course. So I sometimes will spend just a few extra minutes like really going over like, you know, some parents you can tell just want to sit down and be told everything looks good so they yeah, get up and go because right. it's just yeah. part of the motion. But some parents are really invested, spend the money and like really want to like sit there talking with things. So I'll spend a little extra time talking if that's that type of parent. But sometimes I'll like make a balloon animal and like really dive into the science behind like this type of little cavity or this, maybe they've got a posterior crossbite and they're mm -hmm. like four. I'll like yeah. really divulge the whole series of events, you know, and talk Do about a whiteboard. Palatable. I'm, I'm drawing get, out. I'm going to get you a whiteboard. <laughs> pull out a whiteboard. <laughs> but I just like, sometimes those parents like just want to be educated and if they're paying for it, like I, I, oh, I love it. Like I'll talk teeth with these you people should. all day. Yeah, you know, right? It feels great. But then it kind of makes them feel like they're getting, a good value since they're reaching into their you know wallet to to pay yeah. for it you know where it gets easy to get in the trap where if all you're used to doing is like you know low reimbursement ppo and medicaid stuff all day and you're firing through them and all of a sudden you have a parent that just came and because i get a lot of like cash patients mm -hmm. and farm patients and stuff too amish patients whatever and like you know you do your exam in 30 seconds and then they're you're out they're just like you just are going to charge me like 250 300 bucks for like that 15 minutes of work right, like and then, yeah. you know so you just i try to be conscientious about like the clientele that we're working with too you know and you said you had an in-office savings plan i do um I've, I've got a couple i do have an in-office uh member called a membership plan it's not perfect i've got maybe a half dozen people on it and i want to implement it more especially for some of like we have like some TRICARE parents that call in because we're not in network with a lot of right. like Delta basically and that's it. Um, but like once in a while we'll get some like insurances that like don't reimburse really well and I'd like to be able to offer it and just be like, you know, try and push that instead yeah. of like having their kids on the, right. the plan. But like I started this year and I was, I way undershot it. I think I'm like, it was like 200 bucks or something for the year uh, covers all profi exam fluoride and x-rays yeah, yeah and like 20 percent off of work but like if you do the math it's like i way under cut it so like i'll, I'll raise the prices is it averages out to like 100 bucks a recall 100 yeah. some bucks so yeah. i just yeah. like didn't quite have my numbers right on it but um we don't push it all that hard but there's a few patients it's a nice thing to offer them you yeah. know yeah we do quite a bit of that do you do it you have yeah, something similar curious. setup yeah. yeah how do you guys structure it in your office it's similar so 2.99 a year for kids three and older yeah, that's probably yeah. price wise a much more accurate. It's range. about one fifty, and then we get some kids that they utilize. So it's two exams, profi, any X rays, fluoride, and then they get one emergency exam, mm -hmm. and then twenty percent off. Gotcha. So, yeah, gotcha. It's not too bad. And do then, you um do you bill for it? Um, that was another thing we ran into. I didn't want to have to deal with the paperwork of billing it out every single month. So, so I, we have an automated system for that. That's cool. And our software's. So we have a we pay a third party currently to bill it out every every month, but or every year, whatever the parent prefers. Mm -hmm. There's a discount to paying all lump sum, right? Mm -hmm. 
I think if they pay per month, it comes up to like 360 per, per year. Okay. But they get the convenience of paying per month. That's nice. Yeah. That's something I, I don't offer that eventually if it grows and I push it more, that could be nice. But right now I try to just, I collect the full fee once at the beginning of the year and then that yeah. parent, no, then we just have it marked in our system. They've got their own fee schedule that we attach right. to it. And then like they're good until the next six months what, or the next 12 Which months. Which is kind of nice because you have every so often you have that parent that they pay the first month and then the next month their credit card declines. Right. And then you're right. calling them every month to make sure their credit card is not going to decline. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, do you guys do any sort of payment plan options? Only, so we've modified it. At first when we opened, we did. We were more flexible with that. And then bad behavior changes our policy, right? Right, right. So we did it to where everything has to be paid up front. If there's a huge discrepancy in what we estimated for their insurance, mm-hmm. like say that we estimated, yeah, this crown's going to be 180 bucks. If it comes back and they owe 350 and they can't pay that, then we break something out for them. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I've had a few. Uh, rare instances, I've had a few that are big like that. Um, but a lot of mine end up being like GA cases where like, you know, say they have like a MetLife policy or something we're out of network yeah. for it and it only has like a thousand dollar max and it's like a $4,000 treatment plan. <laughs> I'll like let them pay half of their down payment then split the rest into three chunks. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't gotten hard burned yet on it. And it's allowed a lot, like a lot of, you know, probably at least a dozen families that wouldn't have been able to really afford yeah, it, afford right. it. So like, even if I get burned eventually, like mm-hmm. it's still has a lot of my, you know, it's allowed me to do work and like it lets these kids get fixed up. And even like, let's say it's a big treatment plan and say you do an eight pack of crowns and it's, you know, it's $2,500 treatment plan or something. And if their insurance pays a thousand and then they pay, you know, another 800 bucks or something, you're still getting 1800 bucks. Right. And even if they stiff you for the remaining three payment plans, 1800 bucks is still more than I would have gotten if it was like a Medicaid case or something. And then the kids still got the work done. So I, I just, right now it's common sense. Maybe I'll, I'll, um, or it makes and sense to do And we used to do, to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we got burned a few Then you times. get burned. And yeah. yeah. And that seems like that's the general progression of things. And I, I could see eventually in my old age. Because we didn't want to create coffee. barriers to your point. That's exactly what yeah. it is. Yeah. In your mind. You're like, like, I don't want to create a barrier for this kid. This kid, kid out. Barrier, like, mm-hmm. they don't have a job. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right? It's not their, yeah. well, I don't say it's not their fault, but you know, it's, 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 Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's another hard one that might change eventually there. But I do like the sedation side in my practice, and I'm looking forward. Next year, my schedule is going to be great because it's doing one and a half days a week. One and a half days a week is going to be great because it just, it's it's hard. You said I just whatever. I just had the conversation. Said I don't mind working hard doing dentistry, but yeah. like it also is fairly taxing to do five full clinical days oh, it's um, a taxing. week like you you do feel it you know it's just mentally kind of exhausting so it's nice to at least break up the the week with mm-hmm. um uh like a surgery day like it's just a nice change of pace yeah I but agree. um but yeah dude like last so last week i did catch up because school is getting out so mm-hmm. i did four i did a ga day tuesday friday tuesday thursday or wow. something and so yeah. like four of them in a two-week span um, and they were all six case days, big cases, like long days and stuff. And by the very last day, the last like two cases, I was like, man, I don't want to do any more of these. Like that was the first time I'd ever thought this, but like my thumbs hurt from pushing stainless steel crowns down. You know, you do like 48 crowns in a day or something. You're just like, oh my God, I'm seeing two of everything. But, um, but I, I just like those days cause they're productive days and I feel like I get so much done, you know, I it feel does so break productive. up your, your week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. But so you got three, do you, uh, do you do like most of your cases, are they like 
a lot of APAC or crowns or do you yeah. kind of, yeah. You know, see, it seems like some guys, depending on where you trained at, will like some other treatment plans and stuff that I've seen, you know, they'll just really just fix, you know, they'll do a lot of like an MO here on A and nothing on B and then like an, a little occlusal, like they're still just fixing, you know, but I, I feel. I'm just doing an incisal on E. I'm just doing, yeah, yeah. That's I'm right. a seven-year-old. One occlusal on tooth B, <laughs> a small, yeah, and that's, and we're going to call it good. But no, I, um, on a seven-year-old, yeah, I, um, I feel like I'm going to start seeing, like, you know, the decisions that you make in your treatment planning, you don't really see the repercussions of that until, like, a year later, yeah, until it maybe right. when you're like, damn mm-hmm. it, I wish I would have, like, maybe, maybe you see a tiny little something on an x-ray, and you're like, we'll watch it for now, but then yeah. you, you don't, hindsight's twenty twenty. Of course. Like, yeah. You know, sometimes you get okay with, you get by with watching them, but now I'm like, I'm going to start seeing like a few of some of my stuff, which eventually that's going to be nice. Cause then it's like yeah. self-improvement where it's like, okay, maybe the way I'm doing like my treatment plans for this is incorrect. Or maybe I should be extracting these teeth versus doing pulps and crowns or something. Always getting better, right? Yeah. So it'll be some good self feedback. Cause you don't really see those, you know, you know, you don't see the results until they've been in the mouth for a year chewing on stuff to right. see how are they yeah, holding up. For sure. yeah. Stuff like I feel like that's one thing I can say. I'm I'm not good at a lot of things, but I I do t- try to be really self reflective on like like sealants is a big one because <clears throat> like there's a billion different ways to do sealants and it's there's nothing hard and fast. But I'm always playing with like I got a little micro abrasion, like a little micro etcher, oh, yeah. like a little sandblaster, sounds and I fancy. I do that. It's it's actually really slick. It was like a net thirty two one. The whole thing was like two hundred bucks, nice. and I've got a little Velcro system. I tuck it under my twelve o'clock, nice. and so like if I or like you know when you're doing like a little doesn't come in a backpack. No, like a little like a little awesome. jetpack. <laughs> That's cool though, because like you know sometimes you're doing like a little occlusal. I feel like I see these all the time and you just want to keep it nice, defined little occlusal, but then yeah. like all the little secondary grooves have like little right. stainy stuff and you're like, why like, am I going to like, like, am I going to get recurrent decay on all these little, like, once again, where do you stop? Where do you put your margin at? Right. Yeah. So right. I'll get like the main decay out, but then I'll pick up that little sandblaster because it takes two seconds and I, and I'll just like blast out like some of the grooves and it just like, I feel like it just blasts some of the crap out of there and it just maybe makes me feel better. Like I get a little bit better bond. But, um, but I don't know, like I said, I just started doing that like three months ago. So we'll see in a year, like I try to make a note, like, you know, that I etched them. And so we're going to see like if those sealants hold up and look a little bit better, or like if those composites have better like margins that don't chip and flake on you, like maybe I'll like keep doing it. But, you know, I feel like that's a good, um, something that's like a good, a good practitioner, somebody who like, you know, you see a lot of dentists that get stuck in the way that they were doing things 40 years right. ago, right? And, like, they're still doing the same weird dentistry. And silver points. Silver point, yeah, yeah, root canals and stuff. Gold foil technique. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, to do that style. I like to think that I'm, you know, that's a... I like to think that you kind of stay up to date with, you know, some of the modern ways to do things. Yeah, which is cool. for sure. Yeah. But what do you think, dude? I think I'd, I need to apologize since the fact that we... This no, is going to be like a two-part series. I kept you here late, and there's going to be a weird blip in the what middle of What do you think of, of these uh, beers? Um, that, it's that's good. What you have not come Honestly, I think this – what is this? The the, the side project one? How do you yeah. say this? Eau de Blay. Yeah, they're very hard to, uh, pronounce. to pronounce. Yeah, I unless kinda, you know French. I kind of like um, – And calligraphy. Can I be honest? I love the flavor. I kind of wish they were a little bit colder. Is it normal to drink a sour at temperature? Yeah, do you see, do you see the temperature that you're supposed to drink at? Oh, 50 degrees? Okay. Oh, I thought it said 80. 
<laughs> uh, it's like, why is it hot? Like, hot chocolate. But, I drink everything at room temperature these days. Do you? Yeah, is it just a little I, bit more of a flavor profile or something? It's just probably laziness. It comes out of my cellar and I open it. Well, you've got about 800 beers in your basement. Like, how many beers, realistically, how many beers do you have in your you basement? You know, I don't know, but it would, 800's not a, not a stretch. Mm. You have I'm getting more into bourbon, which is why I'm jealous you're going to bourbon, bourbon and, and baby, baby teeth. teeth. Shout out to those. bourbon and baby teeth. Uh, because I've really got into bourbon. My partner, he um, had a big event, and he opened up Pappy. Are you familiar with Pappy Van Winkle? Uh, should I be? Wait, Pappy? Pappy Van Winkle. Is that a barbecue place in St. Louis? <laughs> it, Pappy's is a barbecue place, but Pappy Van Winkle is... A well sought after bourbon. Oh, okay. And very expensive. He paid a lot of money for it. Shows you how much he I know. has an inter- He has like an inside track. He knows somebody who can get it for him retail. And he, for this special occasion, he brought out a twenty year pappy, and it was probably one of the best bourbons I've tried. I've tried a lot of pappy oh, in my man. life, but this is one I had not tried, and it was really good. A twenty year pappy. This is last week too. Fantastic. Does it ever throw you off? You think about like, man, the fact that that like bottle was sitting there since like. 2000 like yeah before i was born like 20 years ago and then he spilled a drop on the table and i go oh <laughs> that probably cost you a hundred dollars that one drop oh my gosh realistically yeah. what's an ex- what's what's uh i mean probably a whole realm of prices but like it's probably not out of the question to buy some couple hundred dollar bottles of whiskey yeah easily. he got it pretty low he i think he paid 1300 oh my gosh retail if you can get it retail which you can rarely, um, probably 180 to 250 really? retail. Wow. But he paid 1300. He again, he knows somebody who distributes, and he got it for a pretty good reason. Wow, price. that's weird. It's um, not worth it, but I'm glad he did it because I benefited from. It. Well, it's kind of like you know, have you seen people like on YouTube? They'll do like, um, like I saw a guy do it with donuts or like pizza or something, where you take like, like a a 99 cent gas station donut and like mm-hmm. a, a $6 like craft donut and like a hundred dollar gold foil. Lady yeah. Donut. And what's the difference? And you right? try them all or like a pair of jeans and you wear like, and, and pretty often like the middle of the road one comes out like yeah. pretty dominant, you know, it's like a good intermediate between like quality and function, you know, for just about anything. But like whiskey's the same one. Yeah. I guess like, I don't know you and I could, you especially could line up like a series of beers and probably at least say like this is a really crappy one versus this is a really nice beer. But, but how much know. do you spend on it, right? Same with bourbon. Right, is, yeah. Is yeah. it worth spending $1,300? Right. Versus $100? Versus mm-hmm. $5? Yeah, right. way better than $5. $5, you set yeah. that on fire and put it in your gas tank. I brought you one of those, by the way. Did you? No. It's going to sit on my bar cart for a while. <laughs> I'll, I'll let it's my. It's gonna bro- go right in your side by side. I'll let my brother-in-law put it in his uh, Jack and Coke next time or something or whatever. Yeah, I put it in the side by side and tear that up. Oh man, well you got to drive back, right? What did I you do. about? What did it take you to get here? Uh, well, I took some wrong turns, so it took me fifty minutes. Fifty should have taken me forty. You can do it in thirty. You'll be fine. Uh, Twenty-five. If you see a deer, just like do a quick juke move. You'll be fine. It's that time of year. <laughs> You know, driving back to college, um, we had a couple truck drivers. We'd go play blackjack in Albuquerque, $2 mm-hmm. blackjack, just to break up the time. Yeah. And we had a couple truck drivers like, yeah, I hit an elk. It's in, the fr- it's in the front of my, it's basically in my radiator. Most of it's in my radiator. So I know you're going elk hunting. Well, that's why those trucks put like those bull guards that are like the size of your thigh going across the front. So they just bounce off. But they're there. everywhere. Yeah. In Arizona, so I hope they're everywhere. In I hope so. I hope that when I do my next podcast, because this is the last one, this one will probably come out 
right as I'm getting back from elk hunting. I um, won't be offended if it never comes out. Like if, if nobody ever listens to this if one. If you're embarrassed that it ever came out. Yeah. Oh, are you still recording? Yeah, I am. It's fine. Oh, well, because we like cut out middle of the podcast because we over-talked our like hour time point, but it's uh, fine. But yeah, I don't know. Hopefully um, when I do my next podcast, I can report that like I did in fact shoot a big elk out there. But I hope so, man. Even so, it'll be therapeutic to just like, I'm going to try to train my brain to just like, Phone is going to be off, no reception. I'm just going to not think about office stuff. I'm just going to focus on like, man, these mountains are really cool. And just yeah. like try to be very, something I'm not very good at. But Do like, you have books you're bringing up? No, because my pack's like, I don't have any room left in my back, my pack since we're living off of our backs for like a week. Yeah. Um, but um, but that's like another thing. Like if I'm able to like do that, I'm going to bring out like podcasts and be listening to stuff. Yeah. Like no okay. headphones, my phone, I'm not downloading anything. Like I'm wiping the phone. It's going to be yeah. off just for emergencies. Like the goal is to like, like allow my brain to not have to think about anything except like mountains and elk. Yeah. That's the goal. You listen to Simon Sinek. No, is that a podcast? Well, he's an author. Oh, okay. Uh uh-uh. Like find your why. Mm. He's a big, he's a good, like engaging speaker. You'd like him. He, he talks about, uh, are we still recording? <laughs> you're no, no, it's fine. He talks about a story about two, um, Oh, what is it called? I forget. They cut down trees. They lumberjack. Go out. Yes. Two lumberjacks that go out. One who cuts down trees all day. And then he talks to his partner. And he's like, well, we spend the same amount of time outside, but you spend an hour and a half going out to lunch and we still cut down the same amount of trees. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what do you do during your lunch? And he goes, you sharpen your ax. And so I've taken that to heart. Like oh, you good. have to spend... Like, I'm going on vacation, and my partners told me. I, I planned on my vacation. I'm going to Montana and Wyoming. We planned on, um, and I'm not a big hunter anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fisherman. But we planned on doing some fishing, and then I planned on building this huge platform um, that kind of shows all of our metrics um, to the partners. Like, what metrics, we're meeting on Friday, what metrics are really important to showing the health of the practice. Not it, Nothing's like revenue or profit-driven. It's all like new patients, um, capacity of your schedule, things like that, and building a platform that you can log into or pull up on your phone and see kind of like the stock market, right? Like how's your practice doing for the Mm -hmm. month Mm -hmm. and showing the health based on what's, um, what's been talked about and studied as far as what your demographics are and, or what your, your, there's articles out there like you should have at least 75 new patients per month as a pediatric practice, right? So it's a scorecard like that, kind of like a traffic light, where if you have 74 new patients, you're going to be in the yellow. Mm -hmm. If you have 30 new patients, you're going to be in the red. How can we help that practice get to 75? That's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I was going to build this whole platform. My partner's like, if you build that platform, you're fired. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, you're right. I have to take time. So it's really important. Like you just go sharpen your axe, what you're talking about. Sharpen your axe. So I call it that now. Yeah. But Simon Sinek, you have to you have to listen to him. The Golden Circle, mm-hmm. the Why. Watch that tonight. It's ten minutes long. Um, it's really engaging. You probably will go down this vortex of just listening to all of his mm-hmm. um, speeches and engagements because it's really great. Well, it's gonna... it, it's, it it's makes sense because I've heard a lot of dentists that go from five days a week and then they go to four days a week yeah. and they actually are able to do just as much dentistry, sometimes even more because yeah. they just like are so focused in like those four days versus yeah. getting burnt out on day five, you know, like it's, so I think there's a lot of truth to that for sure. But we're also in a unique situation. We're trying to build our business, right? Mm-hmm. 
we can't consolidate right now, but I mean, soon, I mean, you've grown really significantly, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another, a book that you, uh, would be interested in. You know, I'm just thinking about like resources that people are listening that could be good. Um, one audio book particular that I really liked is called Titans of Dentistry mm-hmm. to ring a bell at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, um, who put that Justin short and, uh, Maloney. Um, he's the relentless dentist guy, I think put it together. He's got a podcast, but it's really cool. I love the way they did it. It's basically like 30 short stories of like the most famous dentists in the world and like their habits. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Each chapter, it's like, um, Gordon Christensen or Howard Ferran or Mark Costas or like any of these big name guys, like people you should, um, um, I should, I don't know. If you go through the list, there are a fair amount of guys you rec- you know, recognize. Not really yeah. pediatric dentists, but right. like Dennis. well-known speakers, like private practice mm-hmm. owners, owners of um, Fantana, you know, the Aspen guy, like all the big name uh, dudes. Yeah. And it asks, you know, um, what's one thing you wish you would have known 10 years ago? What's the first thing you do in the morning? Um, what's one skill set that you know now that you wish you would have spent more time on earlier? Like what, uh, what's been... Um, a key part of your growth, but it just, it's asked the same questions to each yeah. one. And it's really interesting because, you know, you start to see some trends amongst all these like high profile dentists that are like very rich. Um, the Dorfman guy, he's like the billion dollar dentist, you know, celebrity dentist. All these guys have like very similar trends, but like breakfast or not breakfast, morning routine. They're all like early risers. They wake up, like have a very set routine, like either a good breakfast or coffee. They do exercise, take care of themselves. They're first one's the office, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and that's like a real common theme. Um, lots of CE and like continual self-improvement, but a lot of good themes, but that'd be a, a good, it's like a six hour audio book, but like, oh, nice. it's a really good one to Titans of dentistry. the Titans of dentistry, nice. just to like, kind of get your brain in them. Like if you listen to it, you know, you kind of surround yourself, you know, they say you're like the five people you spend the most time yeah. with, but if you just right. listen to like these people doing interviews all day, it's like, you kind of get that mindset of like what these leaders are like and it's kind of a beneficial thing to listen to. So that's a good one. That's awesome. Yeah. You should read, the reason I asked if you're bringing any books, I'm reading uh, Business Made Simple by Don Miller. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Business Made Simple. Business Made Not Simple. Not a dentistry related book. It's Not just dentistry, like a... but just similar points. Like how are successful people? What are their characteristic traits, right? Like mm-hmm. what, are they, what are they, what makes them successful? They're not necessarily the smartest people in the room. They make things simple and there's just, certain traits that they bring that you know progress their business or their their mm-hmm. aspects of their life so yeah. it's good you should check it out it's I like really an, enjoyed it an endless list of like this is what goes back to like i feel like now is, i'm at the stage of my life where like i'm fairly comfortable doing most dentistry but like i'm trying to learn all these business things and there's just like this whole world of like you know resources and books like i feel like i, I don't have enough time like to to read it but um yeah, we got to commit to line angles every night. The line angles. I got to carve out my practice, my anatomy. Dude, I got like two teeth I got to wax up before I go to bed. So I don't, even, I don't know about you. <laughs> Sorry I'm keeping you up. You no, you're okay. Teeth. Do you want me to help you? Yeah, dude, you got your Bunsen burner with you? <laughs> yeah, things that you thought were important like eight years ago mm-hmm. but really aren't, you know. Yeah. But even like, I don't know, I still am disappointed with myself because like, you know, when you get out of residency, so much of that information is like fresh and then, yeah. you know, and it's, it's not like it's important stuff, but like sometimes like I'll once in a while try to pull something out. Like I'll see a patient with like a weird syndrome or something that I'm like, man, I know I've seen that before. And like, you kind of recall some of like the big points behind it, but like, you can't remember like 
certain little details like questions that were relevant when you took yeah. like rim boards you know that sure. like you could you could like look up and stuff but like you can't quite pull it up right on the spot like your your memory gets a little fuzzy on some of those things and i'm like damn like i could see how when you practice dentistry for 40 years you know mm-hmm. like all you know is how to do like the routine bread and butter stuff you yeah. do all day and like all the clinical stuff is like out of your brain you know <laughs> 40 years prior and then I, you tell yourself oh, i'll just go to a ce course and like that's how i'll relearn it and like i like to go to ce courses and actually like listen and learn and pay attention to yeah, stuff for sure. but i also have quickly learned that most dentists go to ce courses to sign their name to on golf. the box and then they go golf and yeah. drink beer and yeah. stuff the rest of the time but so like i want to like hang out with my buddies that go but i also want to like learn stuff yeah, so like virtual sure. like the hub was great for me this year because like yeah. i learned a ton of stuff this year like i did you do any of the i didn't you didn't yeah. Year, yeah i racked up some really good ce there was um some pretty good stuff some of them was some was kind of lame but some of it was um there's a really good one on there um and now I wish I could give the guy a shout out. He wasn't a pediatric dentist, but it was, um, he talked about like modern, um, like bonding and resins and bio. I think it was like a bioactive materials lecture. It was like two hours long, but he talked about like <clears throat> some of the science behind this goes into like, um, you know, um, quality controlling some of like your bonding, your composites, your cement, yeah, stuff right. like that, you know, cause a lot of dentists just slap stuff in there and I feel like don't follow directions, but he was showing like, went through all the evidence behind why it's important to like air thin your bond and proper curing light and curing times and not doing like a one second, like power pulse on everything. Like there's a reason right. why that's, you shouldn't do that. You know, talked about some of like, you know, MTA materials and different types of bonds, like modern bonds, like flowables. I do a fair amount of like flowable stuff, but he just reviewed like a lot of really cool stuff. That was a really, if you ever happen to be back in the hub and you need to catch up on CE and you whatever, yeah. that's, there was a couple of good ones in nice. there. But, um, I also like, you know, the CE in my brain's like something I'm like, man, I need to knock the CE out and like, just be done with it. So I just like crammed it all into the hub this year. And that way, any CE I get after this point is just like, because I want to, not because I need it at yeah, this point, for sure. which is nice. Like Check. going and drinking bourbon. Uh, drinking bourbon at bourbon, yeah. yeah, bourbon and baby teeth. That's why I like teaching, though, too. You get a consistent exposure to it all. Yeah, for sure. And we get a lot of syndromic kids down at St. Louis. Right. Yeah. That's a really good hidden like point I didn't mm-hmm. think about. But yeah, it keeps you fresh on some yeah. of that stuff. Like, oh, yeah, let's review yeah. what's going on with this kid. I feel like I, I end up sending a lot mm-hmm. of like my weird kiddos, not weird, um, kiddos that I'm not able to sedate in medically office medically kid, complex yeah. patients yeah yeah, yeah like like i know we're all weird like i'm weird it's fine like the kid that walks in the office and his jaws about the size of like you know like you know he's just nothing <laughs> you're like the kid screams pure robin from across the room you're like yeah. i can't sedate this kid in office it's gonna work you know or like there's no airway to sedate the kid yeah right yeah what do you do? you got to have one of those like really expensive fiber optic like self-snaking scopes to get like yeah. an endotracheal tube in or something but I've, get, I've gotten a few weird ones denied lately like the kid had a repaired congenital heart defect like when he was like that's one yeah. we talked about you know like everything i'll have an answer for you tomorrow i forgot dude i forgot i have a sticky note on my desk about that kiddo but i have a sticky note on my ga pack packing for it for tomorrow yeah and ask him about it yeah. and see what they say Worst case scenario, we'll send them on. But I get kind of bummed because, like, I look forward to doing some of these cases because, yeah. like, a lot of times the kiddos with, like, complex health histories, the moms are awesome. Yeah. Because, like, right. they're such patient people because they mm-hmm. 
have been through so many doctor's appointments. So I feel like when... Isn't that crazy? It is weird. But it's nice because like it lets you see like when I provide a good experience for this mom, you can tell like somebody really appreciates it because she's been yeah. to so many doctor's appointments that kind of sucked. Right. And so she's like, man, this guy's like talking to me. It's a good experience. We're right. vibing. So then it always... I get kind of bummed when I'm like, man, I can't do that case because like I wanted to... I wanted to help that kid out and stuff, right. you know? Yeah. So I don't, you know, then it's like, well, I guess I'll refer. Then you're like, I hope whoever ends up sitting this kid down and fixing the teeth, like, knows what they're doing and doesn't try to put a bunch of that ball jackass. Dude, what is, away. I'm going to send you this kid and you're going to send it back with like humongous composites with like, 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 like packable squirted into the pulp or something. Yeah, we're going to do all, all crowns and SDF and then SDF. And, uh, under GA. I hope you're, I hope you're cool with that. <laughs> what else ridiculous? Like, or, I don't know. You ever see some of those radiographs from like other dental offices and you politely ask mom, who, uh, who, you guys had some of this work done previously. Was that around here or was that, well, that was back in Washington. We just went to our family dance. Yeah. Like, hey. No, sorry. I meant like yeah, Washington. Yeah, yeah. I actually meant Washington state. Cause for some, I, I literally yeah. actually, that's what I, but uh, Oregon or something. Yeah. You know, our, actually, this is cool. I had a kid totally contrary, had a family came in like six months ago yeah. and, um, took a look at the kid. His mouth looked awesome. He was like six. He had, zirconia like new smile crowns on b-i-l-n-s and like beautiful mo's on the second molars and like d through g was or no g through g was not but all four quadrants had like zirconia first molar crowns and mo composites and like they all were like pristine like on the x-rays everything was nice and sealed i feel like i get a lot of like little like you know on the bottom of your little voids like i think it's where your bond pulls up or something but like none of that like beautiful and i was like who did this and she mom was like pulling up and she's like oh is our pediatric dentist over in like California or something. And I like found the dude on like IPDO and I shot a message. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I sent him the pictures. Like your work looks great. Like <laughs> I was like, I'm hoping I made his day or something because, and he did it like not as a sedation. Yeah. It was like the fact that you're able to do, and the kid was like four or five at the time. Yeah. Like that takes some cajones to do some like, like it's, you're rolling the dice when you do yeah. those like zirconia posterior molars because those don't always fit very well. Right. And then they take you an hour and you're sitting there sweating. And if yeah. that kid's four and loses it on you and the fact that he's able to do like, is a combination. Obviously, the kid's a good kid, but I was just like, "You did a nice work. I'm impressed." That's awesome. Did yeah. you respond? Yeah, I did. Nice. He was like, "Yeah, this is great." Shane Hartman, Shane something. If Shane's it's, listening, shout out somewhere out there. It's so funny how small like pediatric dentistry is. Isn't like, it though? I had a so my associate, his family was relocating. So my associate practiced in Washington D.C. Uh huh. And was relocating close to Washington, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And I remember his significant other, who's also a pediatric dentist here in St. Louis, said, hey, by the way, this guy that's on IPDO requesting if anybody's in that area, that's a practice Rob used to work at. Oh. So he, so my associate, he used to work at this practice where this kid was moving from. Okay. And then I had another kid two or three months ago where my co-resident from North Carolina used to treat them. In North Carolina. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. It is a small world. I'm it's learning so small. That, I'm learning that through this podcast too, because I have people email me like probably on a weekly basis and they'll be, you know, I listen to the podcast and this and that, and then like we'll Facebook friend later on or they'll shoot me a Facebook and like we have all these mutual friends, you yeah. know, like you know, I think it's just you know, there's only several thousand I mean you think there's what, like eight or nine thousand pediatric dentist out there but like a huge chunk of them are like a bit of an older crowd that don't aren't on social media and aren't out and about much but yeah. like the active like talkative younger yeah. group like is very well connected right and you find a lot of mutual friends which is cool 
if you if you as long as you're not like a hermit hiding under a rock and you actually get out and like you know somewhat social, somewhat social. So yeah. yeah you like get to meet people which is pretty neat and what's hope, the weirdest question you've been requested on your on this podcast um the weirdest question um can you talk about it did you sign in i, don't, I haven't again? i haven't had any weird ones honestly okay. I, I get a lot of people that just like dude i love your podcast like keep up the good work and then they'll tell me they're like life story. Like I'm starting, I want to start a practice or I want to do this. And it's not really a question more so like, what do you think about my, my whole journey as like yeah. a big picture? And be, like, awesome. be like, man, that sounds good. Like you right. got, like, I love it. Like maybe this is what I do, but very rarely is it like a specific like question, like what would you, you know, like clinical stuff. But I, I think it's because like going back, you, most pediatric dentists feel so comfortable treating a lot of these kids that right. like, you know, they, have a good idea. You know, there's not a lot that walks through the door that I think surprises them so much. They right. need to ask about it yeah. on a podcast. It's normally like business startup stuff, like questions. Most of them are business or tax related questions or startup things, things like that. I go back to like, am I the qualified person to ask? But, um, but it's, it always makes me feel good when like people reach out and like make sure, you know, so that awesome. I know people are like listening and stuff. And, and it's like, if I like do anything to change the world, it's, you know, the fact that a few people like listen to me on their way to work in the yeah. morning or something. Well, I love cool. what you're doing, man. That's I appreciate awesome. it. Yeah. 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 I do. That's why I came over. Yeah. Well, we're going to do this again. And I actually, Every really, nine months. I really, really enjoy <laughs> doing this in person versus yeah. um, doing it over the computer because when you do it over the computer, it's great, but you're just staring at a screen yeah. and drinking beer while you're looking at the screen. Yeah. So it's, it's nice. And it's just so much more fluid when we can do it this way too. So um, but yeah, eventually when we do this again in nine months, I'm going to have my Rogan studio. I'm going to have deer heads and Perfect. like, like a, like a nice table and like the full mics and everything. And it's going to be legit. And I'll bring all 12 beers. And you bring time. all 12 Cause beers. Cause you're not going to be elk hunting a week. From... No. And it's going to get silly. We'll have to do it on like a Friday night when we're not working the next day, you know? Fair. Yeah. That works. Okay. Well, thanks for hopping on, man. This was great. We will, we'll do this again in nine months. All right. Perfect. I like it. Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Don't forget to submit any questions, comments, or tough clinical situations to cgets at troypediatricdentist.com for our next Pedo Pearls Power Hour. Also, be sure to share our podcast and leave a review. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week for another episode.